At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. This is WOMMLP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9. The Radiator, good evening. It's a hot sticky one this evening. It's the Rocket Shop. I'm your host, Tom Proctor, and with me tonight is Sean Hood of Easter Mountain Time. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. You've been keeping cool today? Uh, medium? Medium. <laughs> medium. I feel like uh, people people really play up like once it gets down into the 70s, like it's comfortable all mm. of a sudden. They're like the 80s are the problem. 70s, still a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll put my hand up. I'm one of those people. I'm more than happy in 70s, 80s, and my, my inner Britishness comes out. And I start <laughs> complaining that it's too close. Um, well, we like kicking it off with a song. So what have you got for us? Um, I have uh, the, the latest song that I put out. Uh, called A Little Bit of Rain. Right. Um, and it goes like this. Honey, out in the basement, heard you singing the switchboards to sleep. Miss in the back. It once was 
Sean Hood there with a little bit of rain. Uh, that is the latest single I just saw that came out on uh, on Bandcamp. Um, okay. So I came out earlier last month, May 7th, if yeah, I'm right. that sounds right. Um, so this is actually the first record you, you've really come out with, like a new record in a, in a while. Um, so um, correct me if I'm wrong on that front, but what was the impetus to get back into the studio? Yeah, you are mostly right about that. We basically, it's a bit, the short version, I guess, is we were in the process of making a record uh, and just finishing it up when the pandemic hit. And so we were gearing up to release this thing and do a bunch of shows. And then obviously that got uh, put on pause. So we put out like... Uh, that record kind of in an unfinished version just for friends and family just to say this was back in April just to figure you know maybe people want some new music it's April 2020 I didn't want to just be sitting with it so we put that out for a little bit and then we took it back and now we're retooling that and getting it ready for its real release so that just left a lot of space to to work on some other things and this, that particular song came out of a collaboration with my friend uh, Willoughby Morse, who we worked on it remotely, where uh, I recorded just at home and sent him some some ideas and, and kind of gave full control, wanted to just hear what, what they would do with it. Uh, and that's kind of the little bit of rain story i picked it to start with because uh, i listened back to some of our last conversation and two things jumped out at me we talked about uh releasing singles and if if that was kind of going to be my main thing going forward so i thought it was funny to come back on a single and that's also we also i remember talked a little bit about dusting off old songs and that is a song i wrote when i was about 20. And this pandemic was, uh, there was a lot of time. So I actually ended up going in and finding old papers and old recordings and kind of doing some digging that I'd never had time to do before and realized I'd never finished that song or done anything with it. Um, and it was really fun to, to brush it off and, and kind of do something new with it. I love that. I love that um, that you kind of, dug around your your archives, your personal archives, and found something that, I mean, you know, you could have told me you wrote this six months ago and I would have believed you. It, it seems like a very mature song, especially for a 20-year-old. Did, did you have any other surprises when you were digging through? Was, was, this, the, was this the gem amongst the, the rubble, <laughs> or is there, a, is there a diamond mine down there? Um, there is not a mine. <laughs> but there were some there were some things that were very surprising and exciting to find. I appreciate you saying uh, saying those kind words about it. I, I when I was twenty, I was living in San Francisco and I was very very obsessed with everything Bob Dylan, and I think that that maturity you're hearing might have been false at the time and now feels kind of genuine. I was, you know, it's like a wordy, obscure, like kind of surreal, almost story, but not quite. Um, and that's what I liked about it. It wasn't so, it wasn't specific to any time or anything that I had gone through. Um, and there were some other okay ones. I actually also during the pandemic released a, just an online compilation of outtakes and rarities, uh, which came about cause I was going through all that stuff. 
And so I just put that out as a uh, kind of a fundraising tool, uh, which was exciting to do. Just like really did get back into some stuff. Yeah, I I noticed that. I, I'll just come back to that in a in a little while um, because it seemed like a, an interesting project, especially considering you know what was going on this time last year. Um, so I, I also love the fact that you were inspired by Bob Dylan at the age of twenty. I think every <laughs> every uh, cis white man has that that <laughs> stage of their life from they're around about the age of twenty where Bob Dylan, Charles Bukowski is is their entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, when you wrote that song, was it kind of more like putting that mask, Bob Dylan mask on and then and then returning to it? Is there anything you changed about it or is it that the words now felt a lot more real than they were before? I didn't really change it. I, I think I slowed it down a little bit and found a better key to sing it in. I realized in those early years, I didn't know how to write for my voice. So I have all these songs that are just in the completely wrong key for my voice. So I was able to go and kind of mess with some of that stuff. Uh, but I kept, I kept it pretty much the same. Um, and I'm trying to, I think the, I remember that the, the inspiration for the song was also like a Truman Capote essay about I, can't, I couldn't tell you the specifics, but the name Miss Q was used. And I just, just like in kind of what I imagined Bob Dylan fashion, just took that and I would, I had a crummy old typewriter and the songs, it felt so romantic at the time because I would just pound on that thing until something happened. And I, I remember I heard Bob Dylan, like when he wrote like a Rolling Stone, it was like 20 pages long and he went down and chopped it up and found the ones that really fit. So I would do that for like every song and just, and not that any of it was great, but I just loved the process of having so much and cutting it down. Um, I remember that feeling really special at the time. I don't think I could do it anymore. One of my favorite Bob Dylan stories I've heard is um, there's a song that he did talking Bear, Mas- Bear Mountain Massacre Blues. Real early. And, and uh, he, he just read the story in a newspaper uh-huh. And it just it seems like such a Dylan thing to do to take a story and go, right, well, now I'm going to write uh, an iconic song about this. Um, yeah, those talking blues songs are really a thing. Yeah. I wish I could. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess. we can't all be blessed with the genius of Bob Dylan. I think he's, he's rather unique on that front. Uh, so you're mentioning you uh, collaborated with Willoughby Morse on this track, um, and he put out his own version of this. Yes. single as well. So I'd love to hear the story behind that collaboration and and what led to the decision to kind of put both of your stylistic uh, um, and results out on this kind of single that you've just put out. Yeah, it was really exciting to do. I love working with, with Willoughby. Uh, we've recorded with him a fair amount in the past and some of my favorite experiences are working with them. And uh, I think it was Willoughby's idea, kind of. And what we did was I sent him just the lyrics to the song without sending any chords or melodies. And it was kind of his work to take those lyrics and write his own, what he imagined it would sound like before he'd ever heard my version. So his kind of, it's not quite a cover of it. He really made it his own. And so he did that one and then started working on mine. So he's all over both of them. Um, I realized like after I sent him, I was like, this is probably a a terrible song to try this experiment. There's so many words, it's very unclear. 
like what's a verse, what's a chorus. There kind of isn't any of that. Um, but they just took it and and really made it work for for their style, which was just incredible to be a part of. And then we, you know, we're kind of brainstorming ways to put it out into the world and just wanted to do it uh, the fastest and easiest way. And so we decided to do kind of like an A-side, B-side thing. We both put it on our separate Bandcamp pages and, and did some posts about it and now kind of just are moving forward with the mentality of it's not a big thing, but it's there for anyone who wants it. Was there a degree of vulnerability uh, giving this song that was, you know, part of your adolescence, really, if we're honest, to to this friend, uh, a, a window to maybe your soul that you didn't previously show him because he wasn't there? Um, no, I don't think so. And I think that's probably maybe why I chose such a weird, obscure feeling song. Like, there wasn't too much... You know, I think, and we've worked on other songs that my heart is really in. And that's a great experience, too, because Willoughby always finds it and and responds to it. But for this one, it was kind of, uh, it felt like there was less on the line just because it wasn't an autobiographical song itself. Like, the story of it is, but the the lyrics themselves, I think, are, I mean, really, in my, they're like, it's, it's a ripoff to me. Like it's a straight up Bob Dylan ripoff, uh, just the way it unfolds. So it, it didn't feel too vulnerable, which might've been a, a mechanism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I, I can imagine it's kind of like looking back an old photograph of when you were 20 years old and showing to some friends. There's a, there's a maybe a degree of separation by that point yeah. between you and you and that, that, that product, if you will. Um, so the indications are that you, so you, you were about ready to go into the studio prior to the great plague of 2020. <laughs> um, and you said that got put on pause. So where, where is it? Where is it right now? So right now it is, uh, it's being remastered. So we, we had, we'd actually done the studio time. We'd done most of the work and we're, we're getting really close to the finish line and then everything kind of blew up on us. And, you know, I just, I don't think any of us were really in a headspace to, to make something as good as we wanted to, especially considering all the work we'd been putting into the songs. Um, so we kind of rushed to release that thing. And then what was kind of nice was I, I had a little bit of time to hear what other people were hearing if they listened to it. And usually when you put out a record, you don't have, the chance to go back and fix things. You know, it's already on vinyl or, uh, or CDs or things, but this one wasn't. So it was really, it's, it feels like a bit of a blessing because there were some things that really bothered me about it. And it's nice now to have a minute, I've kind of digested a little bit of it, realized the things that bother me. And now we're just kind of tweaking it and fixing those things. Um, so it's getting kind of remastered for a release through a small record label I work with a fair amount called Burst and Bloom out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And we're going to do like a nice little small CD run. And my big thing right now is I still have to figure out the, the artwork. Because when we rush released it, I just took a picture on my iPhone. And it was like, that's good enough <laughs> for, for right now. And I have a couple regrets about that. A record cover really does 
give an impression. And the one I lazily chose probably gave just like a very confusing one. Yeah. Maybe so. just reflect the, the amount of effort and work is, that's been put into the thing that's inside. Yeah, exactly. You could kind of tell it was taken. Like, it was like an iPhone propped up <laughs> against, like, some books. Probably even, like, the flip version where the camera's <laughs> so not even yourself. as good. Yeah. You're just holding it out. So it's. I'm hoping to have it done by the end of the summer and, like, really out in a physical version. Um, so that's the plan. Nice. Um, for a record that you primarily wrote um what must have been like a year and a half ago at this point maybe a bit more um due to the the cataclysmic changes that we've seen around our society and, and whatnot in the in the past 18 months um is there a sense that this is a record from almost like a bygone era like a, a before the threshold era um that's a really good question pieces of it it's funny because i think it's it's a it's it's a bit of a dark album. It's a short and kind of weird dark album. Still very traditional songwriting, but just the production on it and the instrumentation is very kind of moody. Um, and weirdly, I think like that doesn't fit the vibe anymore. I feel like uh, I'm in more of like kind of an optimistic place than I was in the in the summer and fall of 2019, when what I really wanted to do was make something uh, just like kind of, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for besides moody, you know? And so that feels, it feels, now it just feels like a weird time to be kind of dark. It feels like the time to be a little bit more hopeful and I'm about to drop this album. This album. <laughs> well, you never know. By by September, October, the world may may go back to That's being a true. cesspit. So it, <laughs> yeah, it might, might be, be the, thinking. exactly the album we need for our times. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'd love to hear another record, uh, another song, sorry. So what yeah. have you got for us? Um... I'm going to do, this is, uh, this will be the first time I'm playing this one. And it's a song that I'm currently also working on with Willoughby Morrison. We're kind of getting in the home stretch of, of a song that was written in quarantine and uh, honestly took most of it to figure out, which uh, was frustrating but kept me busy. I don't know what we'll do with this one. Uh, might be another single, uh, but it's kind of, it's, Working title is uh, Two for the Road, and it's kind of more in that uh, optimistic gratitude uh, frame of mind. And it goes like this. You can hear the highway I never sleep 
two for the road uh so you mentioned how that was uh a covid project mm-hmm. um so uh, having this album kind of already in waiting and obviously you still got to master it you're going back to it now maybe chopping and changing a few things but you had that project on on the cusp just before covid hit so this space in between um obviously did this single but creatively speaking what else were you doing and uh, and what was the mindset you're in, and, and and how did that kind of isolation work out for you? Um, it it was uh, it was up and down the whole time, and still feels like it is. There was no, I would have loved to have taken that time and and just worked on writing and demoing stuff, uh, and really leaning into the creative process. But I found that that just wasn't really true for me in in this. Uh, in this last year and a half, I didn't, I didn't get too much writing done or anything, and the things I was working on felt hard to, to find and then to finish. It was pretty, pretty frustrating at times, because uh, you know, as a musician, I always like to believe that you know, if I didn't have to work and do all these things, if I was a, a very successful musician. And I had, if I just had these, the, all the time in the world to write, I'm sure I'd write the best songs and then come to find out <laughs> that I watch a lot of movies. <laughs> um, so it wasn't very structured. It was kind of just when, when my brain could handle it. I feel like it was uh, just such an unpredictable time that I had a hard time even pinpointing anything I would like to say. And, and that song came out of just a moment of gratitude that a lot of my family is close by and times were hard, but I kind of knew where they were and that uh, my partner was there and Vermont felt like a really safe place to be during uh, 2020 and just feeling really grateful that we were in a, a community that was taking things seriously. And I was really just overwhelmed by that. I felt so lucky 
uh, to be here uh, and not uh, in in a really big city or or somewhere that just uh, you know didn't wear masks. <laughs> Um, I don't, I I feel like uh, having talking uh, spoken to um, a number of artists about this question, it definitely goes two ways. Of either someone's been cloistered in their bedroom and just 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 cranking out tune after tune, or kind of more in your sense where you feel lost and and a little bit scared and unsure of what's going to happen tomorrow. And and obviously that's not going to be the most creative space in the world. So. Uh, I think if you if you were an international musical star, um, I don't think the conditions would maybe be exactly the same as they were during quarantine. So it wouldn't be so hard on yourself on that front. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, so that last song was very country. Got a real twang to it. And I did notice uh, after after... Looking on uh, your social media pages that you were recently asked to give a summary of country as a genre <laughs> and uh-huh. yeah i mean you, you, traditionally we don't really expect country musicians to be up in vermont uh you obviously got a lot of them it's not modern country at all uh but it's definitely got that feel to it so it's it's obviously a hard to pin down genre um yes. so how how do you define it i remember when i had to answer that question i defined it with more words than i felt i needed um I feel like I read my response in comparison. It was for like a newspaper piece or something. And I read everyone else's very casual and cool sounding response. And I had, like, I sat down and I try, I got like, I got in my head about it. Um, and, and I know I, I kind of, I'm trying to, to think back on what I said at, at the, at the time, but, you know, I think of it as the, uh, it's just bare bones. It's just the kind of the surface level story as opposed to the kind of metaphorical story of a thing. And as far as like the twang, uh, I just can't, I like try not to do it a lot and I just do it. It's just, it's just what, uh, what sound comes out. I think, um, the, the record that we'll have coming out soon is, is a little bit of a departure from that in some sense, but I really had to work hard to, to get away from my natural inclination to go towards this kind of country template. And I had to, the way I did it was by bringing in a lot of musicians who just weren't country musicians. And even like the pedal steel player who plays on uh, the one that'll be coming out soon kind of isn't like a, an old school country pedal steel player. Uh, it's a little different, but but yeah, when the songs come out, they, they definitely tend to come out country. And then if I want it to be something else, I got to go back and do the work to make it something else. Um, and so I want to go back to that compilation album you, you brought out last year. Um, and that was in order to raise money for Black Lives Matter Burlington. Uh, it came out in the summer. And obviously th- this city was every single day we had protests, uh, people camping out Battery Park. It was a phenomenal thing to see, especially as a political organizer myself. It was just, it was amazing. Uh, these bunch of kids basically to taking to the streets on a daily basis and organizing yeah. on such a scale. Um, so, but what, what hit home for you and why did, wh- why did this project feel like something that you wanted to kind of put, put the BLM mark on it and go, this is for that. And, uh, and, and yeah, why, why did that matter to you? Um, 
I guess that's a hard question just in how it relates to the the actual compilation itself. Um, because I don't know if it relates in any sense at all. But, you know, I was I was going to some of those demonstrations and marches and I was looking around me at the people in my life and what they were doing and how they were finding ways to use their skills to, to try to raise awareness or raise money or just get the conversation started. And, you know, I had the, this is what I have. You know, it might not be a super successful lucrative band or anything, but one of the things I do, one of the tools I have is songs, and I have a lot of them. And I just wanted to, to do something, do something, you know? I wanted to uh, utilize the skill that I have and see if I could use that to, to help the, the cause and to support the movement that was happening in this town and across the whole country. Yeah, I think it was a, it was a great gesture and uh, I'm, I'm very much glad you were supportive of it. Um, so another thing that I, I did notice after doing a little bit of a Facebook stalk is you, you were one of several... Uh, 100,000 other musicians across the country that took to live streaming during COVID. Um, now, this may be a real obvious question, uh, but aside from the obvious ways, how is the live stream experience differ from live audience? The, the thing that I kind of learned through the process of doing it that um, made it feel different was the freedom of it. Which, which took a while to get to like a positive space. I, I did a kind of a lot of live streams, it feels like. And the early ones were hard and kind of scary and, and I didn't know uh, who I was trying to appeal to or anything, I guess. And then after some just trying different things, I just realized it was a a totally free space and largely the people who were tuning in were friends and family. And I used the opportunity to, to play a lot of old material and, and dust off some, uh, old releases. I have my first like EP I ever put out under the name Sean hood and the great outdoors. I did that in 2009 and I just decided I wouldn't play this front to back in front of an audience that, paid money and left their house and and like wanted to see a show i don't think it would be a great show <laughs> um but for a live stream it was just like why not you know just try it out and by the end it was just a cool space to kind of do whatever i wanted and not have to worry about disappointing anyone kind of didn't matter um i've spoken to a lot of artists that say that performing in front of an audience is so important because you get that immediate feedback. You know, mm -hmm. you can see the expressions on people's faces and then often people talk to you after and, and tell you how it went. I'm sure it gives you some unsolicited feedback. <laughs> um, how does that differ with a live stream, especially with, in relation to the fact that audience is going to be different than the ones that will possibly be going out to Radio Bean or Nectars or wherever? Um, well, I, I still got probably unsolicited feedback uh, via text messages from my mother. <laughs> so I still got something, uh, which was actually very sweet. Um, gosh, I don't want to be pessimistic about it, but there was honestly 
I mean, there's something so great about that immediate feedback, but it also comes with all the people talking. <laughs> and, and it was really cool not to have that. You know, it was almost just a trade-off. Like, I don't get scattered applause at the end of the song, but I also don't have to play over anyone. Uh, so I almost was okay with the, the sacrifice. I'm excited to get back to live shows, and I'm fully prepared for people to talk throughout all of them. <laughs> um, but it was... Um, it felt like almost a fair trade in, in a lot of ways. And... Um, yeah, almost just a nice break, you know, from having to to go through all the logistics of a show and the emotions of a show. What was funny would be that my well, only my partner saw it, but there was like still a pre-show ritual of me pacing around my apartment <laughs> and like kind of like getting nerves and feeling so silly about it the whole time and knowing like this is kind of ridiculous, but it was almost just like the habit. This is what I do before I play. I pace. <laughs> um, I got away from the question a little bit. No, you did. That was, that was, that was perfect. Um, so talking back onto live shows um, and, and this album getting released, as you said, it's on a record label, which is rarity for Burlington bands. So congratulations on that front, just in and of itself. Thanks. Um, is there a plan to, to do a tour in conjunction with the release? Um, or are you just uh, looking to play a few gigs around Burlington and kind of throw it out there into the ether and see what comes back? I'm not sure right now. I hope there's a tour. I was really, really, I mean, there's always going to be this narrative in my head about what my life was about to be before the pandemic. Uh, and I try to just keep myself away from it. But we had a lot of, we had, I mean, not a ton of dates, but we had, you know, 10, 15 really solid feeling ones that we're going to be promoting this album. And I hate to think that that's just done. So I would like to go back and try to reschedule them and and do at least a good Northeast tour uh, with a little band. But I can't even tell when that's going to happen for, for local bands just yet. Like even as shows are starting to happen, honestly, a lot of the venues that I would play haven't started doing shows yet. A lot of the smaller spaces feel like they're they're waiting a little bit. So I think it really depends on the timing of when we finish this thing and when it seems like that's a feasible thing to go play in, uh, you know, tiny coffee shops and dive bars and, and art galleries and things. Do you have anything lined up for anything in the immediate future? This... <laughs> being here <laughs> um just a couple really we're doing a, an outside show as the full band in bristol uh just like on their green in july which i'm really excited about and then in august making a trek down to exeter new hampshire to play a, a release show for a separate compilation that i was featured on during the last year uh through the label that i work with uh, they're getting most of the acts who contributed songs to this compilation called Bloom Country together to celebrate a thing that we put out, it feels like, ages ago now. So that'll be a, a really nice one, and that'll be a whole community of people I haven't seen in a long time. But but other than that, uh, I just started, we just started rehearsing the band today. Uh, it was our first time getting back into a space with with everyone uh, so I'm I'm amazed at bands who are like ready to go. Like my like I'm looking forward to taking it a little slow 
and spending the summer or most of the summer, like just not, you know, wiping off some of the dust, learning how to sing loud again. I've been singing in a whisper because <laughs> I have, I live in an apartment and I got neighbors. I've been whisper singing for so long. Like I got to learn a lot of the stuff again. So, so I'm like excited to, to see what comes up, but also really happy to just be kind of taking my time with it right now. I definitely feel there's, there's another split there with artists. Um, I was talking to, uh, I forget her second name, Shay. She's a, she's a violinist. She plays for a bunch of bands in town. And I was asking her about her experience. You know, are you excited to go back out and play again? She's like, listen, I played with 12 bands before, before COVID hit. I have taken this time to myself. I am going to tentatively come back out again. I'm going to very, be very deliberate about the places I play and who I play with. But this has been a really great pause. And then, of course, there's, there's other bands and musicians, uh, especially the the younger ones, the, <laughs> the just out of college uh, Gen, Gen Zers who are just, you know, absolutely rip raring to go and just, just kind of wait to get onto their first stage. But uh-huh. uh, it's going to be a really interesting summer, I think. And I think the, the combination of those two is when they start mixing and the creative energy that's going to be been bottled up for so long that it's going to start pouring out. I think it's going to be a really interesting scene. I think so too. I think I'm I'm treating it as an like an opportunity to to reevaluate the scene and it feels a little bit like a fresh start. And I know for me personally, I feel like oh, I can make it what I want to be because it's it's kind of new again. And and I hope most bands feel that way because I think it's a really exciting thing. Oh, well, we've got time for about one more song, um, but before I let you play it, um, where can people find you if they, if they want to listen to some more tracks? I am uh, in all the places, all the usual places. Uh, EasternMountainTime.com is a good one. EasternMountainTime.Bandcamp is another good one. Um, and, you know, on all the streaming platforms, but I try to discourage people from them in a in a really pleasant chill kind of way <laughs> but it's there as well if that's where you get your music um and i'm always just happy if people you know check it out a little bit wherever they wherever they choose to do that yeah that's awesome uh yeah i uh, i hate spotify but i need spotify it's uh, it's a problem i'm i switched to, to title yeah which is only slightly worse. It still has it has all the songs on it. What's slightly worse is just some little platform things. Mm. Um, and it felt cool because it's Jay Z owned it, but then Jay Z sold it to some company, and now I feel like it probably might as well just be Spotify. <laughs> but I moved my whole life over there. It took months. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been through the dark days where I went from like Deezer to to Groove Shark to. I don't even know what Deezer is. Uh, I De- think I still put music on it through my distribution <laughs> thing. Like, do you want to do Deezer? And I always just say yes. Why I've never not? Even heard of it? Uh, yeah, no, that was it was a popular website among European twenty year olds back in two thousand and seven. Oh, okay. And for a time there, I had some great playlists that I don't think I. <laughs> can reach anymore because i forgot my login details i know it's funny how scared we are to like just lose our playlist i had to i literally manually recreated all of mine on a new platform and it took and i understand people are a little precious about it that algorithm knows you so good but i mean is that what you want yeah (laughs) very true well i'd love to hear the 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 last thing you're playing is out with so here you go 
Yeah, I'd love to close out with the uh, the song from that compilation compilation I mentioned. I know it's many compilations and singles that have been mentioned, but this one is on Bloom Country, which has a beautiful physical release. Uh, it's on Burst and Bloom Records, and this song is called Thought I'd Miss You More Than I Do. It is a country song. <laughs> Thought I'd miss you more than 
Sean Hood of Eastern Mountain Time playing us out there. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate y'all. No worries. And uh, yeah, be sure to come back when the album drops. Yes, please. Want to wanna hear it in its totality. Yeah, we'll bring the band. That'll be great. Yeah, more than more than one or two people singing. That'll be yeah. fantastic. Um, well, you can catch us next week. We're going to have No Lemon in the studio. Uh, but that's it for tonight. This has been 105.9 The Radiator, The Rocket Shop. I've been your host, Tom Proctor, and good night.